Christ is risen. We did not finish up with our uh, Cappadocian fathers, so we have the last page of the one. Um, they all both say ten church fathers on the top, but Gregory of Nazianz is that thing. And then the next one will go is the one that starts with Ambrose. So, but we have the last page under Basil the Great. So, so I know. When I have single sheets, I try to put them in different colors, so that's easy for you to identify which page we're on. But a lot of text in this. All right. So we had looked at at some of the quotes uh, from Basil regarding asceticism and the beginnings of monasticism, and so him writing about the 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 dangers of living in the world which we can recognize to a degree. We recognize that the world can be a temptation to lead us away, right? It can. You live among people. He talks about people who hold the commandments of God in light regard. Yeah, we're affected by that. And then, so then his, his idea is, well, we'll separate from society, but then he says, well, it, is it better to live alone then or in community with like-minded people? He says, well, it's better to live in community because for various reasons which is kind of what you left when you left society and the world. But I, I think what we would, one thing that we observed is that one thing that he doesn't mention is, is the family. And I think that we could, we could say that God has given us, um, and, and not an optional uh, community, the people that we're connected to, uh, you know, and that can become its own community. One doesn't have to join a monastery to live with Christians, right? Um, that with people who would build us up in faith. Um, but you can just you can start to see people writing. We're going to have other writings, um, kind of how they started viewing marriage already in this time, even from church fathers. All right, so we're on the back page um, of the Basel the Great section. So this one has. The quote that's on the top that says, through the Holy Spirit. See that there? Um, where I, Remember that in this time frame, there were false teachings regarding the Holy Spirit. Um, if you remember, um, we talked about the Nicene Creed and how the original Nicene Creed at the Council of Nicaea stopped at, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. You know, and you know the, whole, the Nicene Creed that goes on, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the, whole, and the Holy Spirit. That came later because there was controversy concerning that. Um, so this uh, is kind of part of that. Through the Holy Spirit, so teaching on the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit comes our restoration to paradise, our ascension into the kingdom of heaven, our return to the adoption of sons, our liberty to call God our Father, our being made partakers of the grace of Christ, our being called children of light, our sharing in eternal glory, and in a word, our being brought into a state of all fullness of blessing, both in this world and in the world to come, of all the good gifts that are in store for us, by promise thereof through faith, beholding the reflection of their grace as though they were already present, we await the full enjoyment. In, in other words... What, what does the Holy Spirit do? Gives us everything. All of the gifts, all of the gifts that Christ wins for us comes to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So I just often refer to the Holy Spirit kind of as God's delivery man. He's delivering the gifts of Christ to us and receiving us then into the, into the fellowship, into all these blessings that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's not just this like sideline thing that we've got this guy who does spooky things every once in a while. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is, is integral to our reception of the faith and being part of that. The next quote um, talks about psalms and singing. So when he first starts off and saying a psalm, he is not just talking about the psalm itself, like a psalm like one of the 150 psalms in the Old Testament, but of the singing of them in general. So he says a psalm implies sincerity of soul. It is the author of peace, which calms bewildering and seething thoughts. For it softens the wrath of the soul, which and what is unbridled it chastens. A psalm forms friendships, unites those separated, conciliates those at enmity. Indeed, who can still consider as an enemy him with whom he has uttered the same prayer to God? Um, that that's you know, singing is kind of a unique thing, and it's. It's one thing in life that we can really do together with someone. You know, like literally with one voice. <clears throat> Where you, you, you join and you match their sound to sound like yours. Like we never do that. And so so it, it, it kind of binds people together. And then, then of course, the, the content of their, when they're praying together, you've uttered the same prayer, how can I be on opposite you when we've just prayed together? So that psalmody, bringing about choral singing, a bond, as it were, toward unity, and joining the people into a harmonious union of one choir, produces the, also the greatest of blessings, charity. A psalm is a city of refuge from the demons, a means of inducing help from the angels, a weapon in fears of night by night, a rest from toils by day, a safeguard for infants, an adornment for those at the height of their vigor, a consolation for the elders, a most fitting ornament for women. <coughs> you know, it, it, it's got something for everyone. It's, uh, it peoples the solitudes. It rids the marketplace of excesses. It is the elementary exposition of the beginners, the be improvement of those advancing, the solid support of the perfect, the voice of the church, it brightens the feast days. It creates a sorrow which is in accordance with God. Like it is, music is not all of one, one sort, right? Some of it can be the, the, the joyous music of feasting, but you can also have the, the, the lamentation, the cry uh, of God's people. It does all of this. It, it is, he talks about the, you know, the ex elementary exposition of beginners. You can have the simplest song that teaches the youngest of children the faith that they can now repeat and put on their own lips, but it also uh, it's like, uh, the improvement of those advancing. It, it allows us to grow deeper in faith as we contemplate the words, especially combined with music. Uh, for a psalm is the work of angels, a heavenly institution, the spiritual insights. Kind of in praise of, of psalm singing from the 4th century. Finally, the last quote there 
you know, letter that he writes. The woman who purposefully destroys her unborn child is guilty of murder. With us, there is no nice inquiry as to its being formed or unformed. In this case, it is not only the being about to be born who is vindicated, but the woman in her attack upon herself. Because in most cases, women who make such attempts die. The destruction of the embryo is an additional crime, a second murder, at all events, if we regard it as done with intent. The punishment, however, of these women should not be for life, but for the term of ten years, and let their treatment depend not on mere lapse of time, but on the character of their repentance. So we saw in the quote from, which one was that? Gregory, one of the other, what Gregory of, one of those guys, um, wrote about, or maybe that was in the previous section, where we had someone who writing about um, <clears throat> the, the nature of the soul, the, the, the soul and body are joined together at the same time. You don't have a thing where there's a body being created and then eventually it gets sort of ensouled, like the, the soul comes later, is kind of infused, like maybe when the baby's born or something like that. He says, no, from the start, we know what, <clears throat> we know what this thing is, that this is a living human being. Oh. You know, and it is a great statement considering, you know, ultrasounds are yet to be invented until, uh, oh, you know, a couple millennia later. Um, and here, too, he recognizes, you know, he says, you know, the, um, we, it, it, to the, this inquiry, whether it's formed or unformed, like whatever shape it's in, an unborn child is, it just says, it, you know, it is a child. Um, and the, Interesting, he makes the, you know, the point about that there's two individuals here and, the, and that there's two crimes. We'll see that sometimes in law and sometimes in, uh, you know, a, a murder on a pregnant woman where someone will get two counts, uh, which reflects that in law. Our law is inconsistent in that regard because there, that's if, if someone kills from outside, but if, the, if, you know, if a doctor does it, then, then we don't count that, that as a life. Um, so we're inconsistent in that regard. Uh, but, uh, but, but interesting, his, his comment about, um, in most cases, women who make such attempts die, uh, because someone, before we were, you know, we were sophisticated and were able to do this with, with medications, you know, the, oftentimes the means by which a woman would undertake this act would end up hurting and, or killing her too and sometimes that can still happen and you, you, you can hear horror stories even in, in today, they don't get reported of course um, the safe methods that we have today are not, are not safe um, it's never safe and even if it's not physical um, physical harm to the mother uh, the, the psychological harm that also doesn't get talked about very much either um, is pretty substantial as well. But they could see this, <clears throat> and he writes about that. Um, notice that he does, he meant, you know, at all events, if we regard it as done with intent, um, uh, that is a second murder, that it, they're, they're not blaming someone who miscarries, right, for whom this is not done, it, those, those things occur too. Um, and that, <laughs> that that is a crime, but it's not it's not one with, for which there's no 
forgiveness <clears throat> to recognize that. That wraps up our, just a, a picture of some of the things that were written by these church fathers. Is it Basil the Great? Any questions or thoughts on that before we move on to Ambrose? Amazing. Amazing that same thing that's happening today with the government approved of it. And most people are following the government, not the church. I think we find out a lot of, a lot of these things. So. There really is not much that's, or nothing new. No. Solomon wrote that once upon a time. I think he was right. There is nothing new under the sun. Um, and I don't even know for sure, like, so there's a church father writing about this. The fact that he has to write that suggests that that's going on pretty frequently too. And I don't know that the government necessarily dealt with that either at, that, at his time. You know, I don't know that it was a crime. You know, we have, <clears throat> even the, the Romans the earlier, the, you know, the Roman Empire is very common. For non-Christians, they would just abandon the babies. Just set them out on a hillside and just leave them there. Um, if, if they wanted to rid themselves of it. And it goes way back. Um, and even, even there's horror stories. Um, and it's, it relates to once the monasteries and convents uh, start occurring. You know, there's this horror story of uh, this this like pond or something like that that was drained. I don't know if it was near Rome or where where it was. Um, they drained drained the pond, and at the bottom of the pond, they find a large number of infant skulls. Um, I don't know that that comforts us necessarily that it's always been going on. <laughs> doesn't make us feel better about it. Or it doesn't take away, doesn't make us say, well, okay, then it's always gone on. I guess it always will. You don't know, like, then we don't. I think we would speak up, like, with the same kind of clarity and call things what they are. Um, we would attempt to do that. Yeah. Um. Well, and so speaking of, now, now we've, we've mentioned some of this before, the interesting relationship between once Christianity becomes legal and even sort of a favored status in the empire, now the, the bishops have a, an increasing role. When, when, when Christianity is persecuted, the bishops, you know, they have a say over their congregations and their, you know, what goes on there. When, the, when nearly the whole empire is at least... A, kind of, in some ways, Christian. Um, they have not, or, or when the emperors themselves are, they are going to church too, and they are known as Christians. Now the, the bishops have a, a role in saying something to them, and that's what you find with, Milan, with uh, Ambrose. A uh, little bit about him. Ambrose becomes bishop of Milan in 374, but an interesting thing with him, he is acclaimed, he's, he, he's not a, he's, he doesn't go up through the ranks like he doesn't become a, a presbyter or a priest. Or, and then a, <clears throat> he's like a governor, so he's a public official. I think in Milan, not in Milan, but in the area, over a, a, a region. He's a governor, and the, the, the bishop died. Uh, and, you know, so remember you're talking about Arianism. The previous bishop of Milan was an Arian. 
So, so he, he helped with that. Um, then the, uh, says Ambrose went to the church where the election was to take place to prevent an uproar, which seemed probable in this crisis. So it seems like he was the, the governor of the area. Um, and uh, he, he, so he goes to make sure that thing, this election of the new bishop is done peacefully. And the people start crying out, Ambrose, Ambrose for bishop. He is a Christian. Um, we're, we're pretty sure, but, but he, wasn't, he wasn't even baptized. He had no theological, no, no religious training, um, but he is suddenly bishop, or he's a claim bishop. He doesn't want to do it, um, so he hides. Let's see. He energetically refused the office of bishop, uh, for which he was in no way prepared. He's relatively new Christian, not yet baptized or formally th- trained in theology. So he fled to a colleague's home, seeking to hide. But then the emperor, Emperor Gratian, um, wrote the, the, the host, the guy who was hiding him, wrote him a letter um, praising the appropriateness of Rome appointing individuals worthy of holy positions. So he writes him a letter, and so then his, the guy who's hiding him in his house gives him up. <laughs> and so, um, and then... Um, it says, within a week he was baptized, ordained, and duly consecrated as the new bishop of Milan. Uh, you know, the, the New Testament does give a specific warning not to uh, assign a, a, as a overseers, should not be a recent convert. There's a specific thing, so I guess they just sort of <laughs> gave an exception to that one. Uh, so becomes bishop in 374. Um, one incident in 385 uh, happens, and that's the second quote on the sheet, so we'll skip the first one, and then we'll go to the second one. What happened is uh, the empress, I think her empress, Justina, I think her name was, um, decreed that the, the basilica, she was an Arian, uh, and that the Arians wanted some of the churches. And so she decreed that um, that they should give up some of the churches in, the, in Milan to, to, to the Arian group. Uh, and uh, Amber said no. Yeah, he, he, he made the argument, though, interestingly, in part from Roman law, that in Roman law, if you had a god, um, uh, to say that if a temple was built and it was dedicated to the gods, the god owned that. It didn't belong to the. It, it, it belonged to the god who, to whom it was consecrated. And so, like this, this basilica has been dedicated to the triune god, not to, and, and so therefore, and so stood. Um, stood against that, uh, even the, the story. So they were in the basilica, like, doing the, doing church, singing hymns. Um, when the, the, you know, first there was a proconsul that came, and then they sent guards. So they sent soldiers to come. But some of the soldiers, instead of, like, taking the, the basilica, came in and started singing with, because they were expressing their... Their loyalty to the to the bishop and to and, and keeping it, so they were they were not that effective in that. But this is something um, Ambrose is supposed to have said, recorded by Augustine. 
says, if you demand my person, I am ready to submit. Carry me to prison or to death. I will not resist. But I will never betray the church of Christ. I will not call upon the people to succor me. I will die at the foot of the altar rather than desert it. The tumult of the people I will not encourage, but God alone can appease it. So, pretty strong. Stood up there. Um, another time that he stands up to an emperor is in 390. And we've actually we mentioned this before, but I don't think we saw this quote. Um, so now you have the, the emperor Theodosius. And he had, there was, a, there was an uprising in Thessalonica. And he, uh, Ambrose warned him not to do it, not to take revenge on them. But he did it. He massacred a whole bunch of people in Thessalonica. And Ambrose said, that's wrong. Um, it's kind of like a David, or you know, the prophet Nathan to David kind of moment where the king has sinned and the, the prophet has to go and, and, and rebuke him. And so Ambrose does, he forbids him from communion. He excommunicates him until he would repent of this. Um, this so this is him writing to the emperor on this occasion. He says, something unparalleled in history has happened at Thessalonica, something which I tried in vain to pre- prevent. Indeed, before it happened, I was plying with you with petitions against it. I said that it would be utterly atrocious, and when it happened, I could not extenuate it. Are you ashamed, sir, to do as David did, David the king and prophet, the ancestor of Christ, who said, I have sinned against the Lord? Therefore, do not take it ill, sir, if what was said to King David is said to you. You are the man. That man's sins is no cause for surprise. What is blameworthy is his failure to acknowledge his error and humble himself before God. You are a man, and temptation has come to you. Conquer it. Sin is only put away by tears and repentance. The Lord gives remission only to those who offer penitence. For my part, though in all other respects I am a debtor to your goodness, for which I can never be ungrateful, I dare not offer the sacrifice of the Eucharist, if you intend to be present. Can what was not allowed when the blood of only one innocent man was shed be allowed when the blood of many has been shed? I do not think so. I am writing you with my own hand for you alone to read. You shall make your oblation when you are given permission by me. Uh, When your offering is acceptable to God, I hold you in affection. I attend you with my prayers. If you believe me, do as I say. If you do not believe me, forgive me for putting God first. Pretty, uh, pretty bold to to write that to you know and and recognizing it's you know like I I appreciate your work as emperor <laughs> I you know I I I'm not doing I'm I, can you see that can you see that here's the past you know so it does sort of set off not just this event but you have this conflict between the, the rulers of the church and leaders in the church and the leaders of the government, in which will happen, it'll go for more than a thousand years. But you see what's at least going on here. This is, this is not like church leader telling the, the state leader how to govern. It's a pastor writing to his member. Right? That's what's going on here. Um, he, he's not telling him how to, you know... What, what laws to pass to do this or that. Um, he's, not, he's not interfering and in, in, in seeing that the, the church is over the, the state or the government. Um, he's simply being a pastor and he's rebuking 
this one and, and what means does he have to do it what what's the weapon as a sense that the, that the bishop has that the pastor has um, all he can do is say like uh, well basically you can't come to communion and what what's the deal there because I can't tell you a lie I can't forgive the impenitent my Jesus has not given that to me and I, I, I can't do I can't say what he hasn't given me to say lest those others who hear it would doubt it either you see that because that that's what this whole thing is based on right the 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 the, the, the office of the keys for the pastor to be able to announce to someone, this is the voice of your Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. You'll hear that in the gospel today, right? Jesus says, your sin, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. And we, according to Jesus' promise, say, well, Jesus has sent men to say that to you. That's not his word. That's not the pastor's word. That's Jesus' word for you. And, you know, and like you, you've got to believe that. Well, if we go around telling that to the impenitent, who to whom Jesus has not said that, then we, then we devalue and take away the truthfulness of what Jesus has given to all of us. Uh, but he doesn't take up a sword. Yeah? And he even says, well, uh, this is back, back with, with uh, Justina and the Basilica. Like, okay, you can, you can kill me, sure, but you're not gonna, I'm not going to give it up. <laughs> I'm not going to deny my word. Just not. Can you imagine... Can you imagine the wrestling that uh, Ambrose had to do before writing and sending the letter? <laughs> it's like, you know, do you ever do that with like an email or something like that? Or a text, I suppose, and you're like, do I send it? And you're like, what are the implications? What, what, what's going to happen because of this? You know, what, what could happen when he attempts to do this and, and keeps, keeps the, the emperor out and says, I'm sorry. We've got situations. We've got bishops in the Roman Catholic Church facing that with, with politicians and other people. It's not like only politicians that they're ever doing this with, but the, we hear about it, right? And there are bishops who have told, told individual members of their parish, you cannot commune because of your stance, because you, you're, by your actions, you have endorsed what is evil, yeah? And, you know, that's not, that's not the church playing government. That's, I, I think, as far as I know and can see, those are pastors seeking to, to speak the truth. Of course, then they just go someplace else and get it from someone else. So. Um, the next, so we talked about those two events. Um, we'll come back to... to Ambrosian chant and hymnody. We talked about hymnody before, but um, the other quotations, uh, this one, this next one is from St. Augustine. So Augustine writes about Ambrose. He's kind of a, a, a mentor and his pastor. So when he observed Ambrose, um, this, he writes about this. This is what he noticed. He says, when Ambrose read, his eyes scanned the page and his heart sought out the meaning, but his voice was silent and his tongue was still. Anyone could approach him freely, and guests were not, uncommon, not commonly announced. So that often, when we came to visit him, we found him reading like this in silence, for he never read aloud. Um, it's interesting that, that he observes that, because we commonly do this, right? Reading silently to ourselves. In the ancient world, they didn't do it. Enough so that, except Ambrose did. 
Um, and that's, but it's worth noticing, like, that's weird. <laughs> Augustine says, weird that he doesn't read out loud. He just sits there and his eyes just look at the page and he just, like, how do you do that? Um, that was not common. Um, when you talk about reading, and part of this was, you know, books were not that, not everyone had books. Not everyone could have books of their own. So what you would do is, where there were books and they weren't, I, at this point, maybe they were actually books like, you know, codices with pages sewn together. Um, but that could have been other forms like scrolls earlier and so on. Um, but if you had things like that, um, they were very precious and expensive. And so what you do is have someone have it and they would read, you know. You didn't watch the news. You didn't, not everyone got their own newspaper. A guy stood up in the, in the center of the town and announced, cried out, probably sang the stories of tales of our, our, you know, our boys in battle. They would you know, sing, sing the story. Ballads, that's what those were a lot of times. They were singing the, you know, some event that had happened that they had heard somewhere, or a letter, someone gets it, and they would read it to other people, either in a home or in the church. That's where our epistles in, in the Bible these are letters, but they're in there to a congregation, and you have someone who read it to, to others out loud. It's just an interesting observation. That they, he thought that was weird. To us, it would be totally normal. Uh, the next ones, uh, you see these are all quoted in, um, in the Book of Concord. So the first one in the Augsburg Confession, second uh, the second one, and then the third one in the Apology. Uh, so Ambrose writes, It is ordained of God that he who believes in Christ is saved, freely receiving the forgiveness of sins without works through faith alone. Uh, it was a very important thing for the Lutherans in the Lutheran Confessions and like the Augsburg Confession to say, we, we've studied that, uh, that whole thing. But in short, to, for them to say, we're not making anything up. Like, you see, you know, like they might be, might have cited the Roman Catholic Church. They might have cited church fathers. You know, well, the church taught this or that. And the Lutherans say, um, <laughs> you know, like, you've got church fathers, so do we. <laughs> and we've got Ambrose. And we've got these, like, the, so there's a clear teaching of the Reformation teaching of salvation by faith alone, without works, through, I mean, through faith alone. Like, this is not something new that the Lutherans came up with. And, you know, in their, in their like, rebellious uh, reformation. Wasn't that at all. Like, this is, this is what Ambrose taught well over a thousand years ago. Uh, another one, this is concerning the Lord's Supper. Uh, he quotes, Ambrose says, Because I always sin, I always need to take the medicine. Like, is there ever a time where I'm not in need of the forgiveness of sins? that I receive in the sacrament. This is because I always sin. Uh, and then third one, last one. Virginity is only a thing that can be recommended, but not commanded. It is a matter of vow rather than of precept. So this is in the article on the marriage of priests. And they say, look, even Ambrose says, this is not something, you cannot require this. Um, if someone voluntarily wants to remain single and remain celibate, virgin, um, they may, and they may even promise to do it, but you can't keep them. You can't command this. Um, you can't. Um, and then they would draw that from the scriptures when Paul talks about, St. Paul talks about that being uh, even a doctrine of demons to prohibit marriage. 
uh, Ambrosian chant and hymnody. We already talked about Ambrosian hymnody when we were talking about the, the hymnody, and just so that's a it was a form that he used. We have like what is it four hymns that we've identified that we know came from the hand of Ambrose, like Salvation, Savior of the Nations Come. You know, the Latin for that um, was Ambrose, but it's this type of I forget what it was. It was a meter that he always wrote in. And then many other hymn writers copied that. Um, and so you have this line of Latin hymnody that became known as Ambrosian hymnody. But he also um, solidified a, a, a chant formula also for other singing in the church, um, namely psalms and, and liturgy uh, that has come down. So you've heard of Gregorian chant, probably. Um, and that's Pope Gregory, and he comes a little bit later. We'll talk about him later on. Um, and what, what that is, is, is these formulas for being able to sing pretty much anything. So they weren't writing specific melodies, but you'd write this formula that, for which then you could put and you could adapt it and then sing kind of just about anything in that, that means. And, and Ambrosian chant is similar to it. I'll plan to play uh, a snippet of some, an example of some Ambrosian chant. Um, and these then have kind of, they kind of stuck around. It wasn't like it was just used then. Um, the church's song over time changes in how it sounds. But what happens is that what you, what you do is you don't, you don't get rid of the old one. Which in some, you know, in some like other areas that were like, this is not a good idea. You know, like if you never get rid of an old, like, I don't know, refrigerator. Uh, you know, and the, the, you get a new one and then you just put the old one somewhere else in the house and then you, you just keep them around forever. Eventually, you, you, this, this would not be good and some people do live like that, I suppose. They never, you know, and they never get rid of anything and then, you know, you, you, you come later on and they have 17 refrigerators in the basement. None of them work. Um, because, but that's a little bit the way that the church sort of um, in music and liturgy that it picks up kind of the best from every age. And it never just wipes out and says, okay, now we're just we're going to start over, we're going to disregard everything that we used to use, and now we're going to use all new stuff. They ne never do that. We always, we, we pick, this is, ideally, we pick up the best from every age, or, and even from other places, you know, um, we can incorporate uh, music from other uh, you know, places in the world and, and, and such on cultures and so on. Uh, and taking the best from everywhere, it's, it's, it's kind of eclectic in that way. Uh, you know, so that we would never sing or, or you know, only have, I mean, I suppose there are people that might want to do it, you know, only have music written in the last 20 years. That's a very narrow sort of um, view of it instead of having, well, we'll take, you know, we won't discard it just because it's new, but we won't discard something just because it's old either. Uh, so here's a, a, a little clip of, uh, this is a, a song, but it's in Latin. So. Thank you. 
what you hear is Um, you can you get you get the the sense um, that was a very common thing. What they did there is you had the uh, kind of an alternate between the men and the boys. You had the men singing and then alternating with the, the boys singing, and then then they joined in together. Um, uh, that's an example of Ambrosian chant. Uh, let's look at, at Jerome. Then I didn't write out his his years on here but I'm sure he's on our sheet. Jerome, 345 to 420. One thing that's hard is when you look up like their dates, they're not, we're not always completely certain, especially about birth dates, birth years. Usually death years, that's pretty, because that's more record. You know, at this point, if you asked, if you asked Jerome when he was born, what year he was born, he probably wouldn't be able to tell you if he even did write it down. <laughs> they didn't necessarily document that very, very well. Um, but 340, 345 to 420. The thing that he is mainly known for, Jerome, is his translation of the Bible into Latin. He's not, I don't, I'm pretty sure he's not the first person to, to translate the Bible into Latin, but that's the one that, that stuck. It's known as the Latin Vulgate. Um, and it, all, it was not, I don't believe, a translation right from Greek and Hebrew. They didn't necessarily have access um, at this point to full manuscripts of, of, of the scriptures. They had other Bibles, um, and, and, but it was a, it was a t- translation and a, and a kind of authoritative translation into Latin. Uh, that's what he's mainly known for. He also did other things. Um, he did uh, cartography. He created an atlas of the world, at, and I don't know how extensive it was, um, without maps. <laughs> like, 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 without using any maps, created that, you know, which, can you imagine how did, I, I can't fathom how you would do that um, to, it, it, or any maps at this point. How do you know how to write a map without, you have, you have to bend there, but you're, you're, you know, as far as figuring out how far distances are one from one to another, you, you know, it's not like they can look at outer space and, like, we're so used to having, you know, like, we, we know where everything on the globe is. And we can use satellites to, you know, narrow it down and see pictures of what, you know, someone's yard looks like um, and know exactly how far that is from somewhere else. But to, to in the fourth century, to, to create an atlas um, is pretty, pretty impressive. Um, so he was, he was a priest, um, but theologian, scholar. He, his, he's mentioned, so Ambrose, we had a number of quotes in the, in the Lutheran Confessions, quoted a number of times. Uh, Jerome also is, I think, uh, 12 times, 12 mentions or quotes in the Book of Concord. He's the first person to use the term apocrypha for those, those books that weren't in the Hebrew Old Testament. Um, they, they, were, they were known and they were around, but they weren't in Hebrew. And so they weren't included in the, in the you know, when you talk about the Hebrew Old Testament. Um, but the, the term apocrypha is the one that who, who seems to have coined that term for him. He did a lot of writing on, like, moral, moral teachings. And he would oftentimes write to women, like women who were, like, patrons of him, um, advising them on how to live. We'll see a quote that's like that here. 
so the first one on our sheet is this one is quoted in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. He's writing against the Pelagian Pelagianism. That's the one that taught that that original sin didn't entirely deprive man of his powers to be able to come to God. Um, So he writes, Then we are righteous when we confess that we are sinners and that our righteousness stands not in our own merit, but in God's mercy. So we rejoice to find these wonderful and clear quotes from the fathers that testify to the, you know, the truth of the scriptures. Um, and so in the Lutheran Reformation, for them to find these things and say, see, we've got Jerome on our side <laughs> and Ambrose. Yeah. Um, the, the next quote is uh, regarding uh, the primacy of the Bishop of Rome. The PPP is the power and primacy of the Pope, uh, included in the Book of Concords. Uh, Concord. And so this is quoting Jerome, where he says, If there is a question about authority, the world is greater than the city. Wherever there has been a bishop, whether at Rome or Eugubium or Constantinople or Regium or Alexandria, he has the same dignity and priesthood. So, um, in response... To the, to the hierarchy that developed in the church over, you know, from, from here into the Middle Ages, where you have, you know, archbishop, bishop, and you've got this hierarchy where um, the Lutherans pointed out that both scripturally and, and even in the early church, they recognized that if you were a bishop, you were a bishop. There weren't divinely ordered hierarchy of clergy, and, you know, and of course, then with the Pope on the top, this is the Bible doesn't know anything of that. So it says if you have a bishop, when he says that he has the same dignity and priesthood, um, if they have, if they would, they would talk about Lutherans. That is, for the sake of love and good order, elect someone to be over them, well and good, and that's fine. But you just can't say that that's a divine order. That's for the sake of love and good order, like. Do that, you, you, you'd give them obedience, but recognize that it's a human arrangement um, versus what the, the papacy was claiming that by divine right, the Pope is the head of the church. Like that is, God said so. God said that this bishop is the head of all the other bishops. And, and the Lutheran said that's not in the Bible. Um, they said, if you would acknowledge and allow us to teach the gospel freely, we'll, we'll take the Pope. That's fine. We can have a head for the sake of love and good order. We, and we, we would submit to that if he would simply allow us to teach the gospel. You know, we, we could understand that and that you would not insist that this is by divine right. Yeah. Um, so then the Lutheran saying, Jerome saw that. <laughs> and, 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 and at this time, they, they, the teaching is still that a bishop is a bishop. A pastor is a pastor. There's not multiple levels, again, by divine order. The next one, the longer one, this is one of these uh, letters. Uh, and I think to, to, to some, some woman, it seems, who wanted to devote herself um, to, to a celibate life. And in leaving the world, forsaking things like family life, marriage. And so he's writing to this. 
uh, to, to someone in this situation. <laughs> so he says, I'm not, I'm not now about to enumerate the disadvantages of wives. Uh, pregnancy, wailing, uh, wailing infant, a torment of a husband's unfaithfulness, household cares, and how death at last cuts off all fancied blessings. But this is a, there, there's a name for this, and I can't think of what it is. But it's, it's, it's where you see, it's a, it's a rhetorical tool whereby you say what you're not going to say. I won't even mention the fact that. And then you say the thing that you're not going to mention. <laughs> you, you do it for effect. Um, <laughs> and that's so he says, I'm, I, I'm not about to enumerate the disadvantages. Well, here they are. Number one. <laughs> um, it, and so he's, so to someone who like, you know, they're, they're giving them advice on how to live and, and that's it. This I would not give this advice. Okay, this is I, I'm not sure this is Jerome at his highest, but it's good for us to see as an example um, where you know. Okay, here's kind of the downsides of being married, ladies, right? Which I'm not going to mention, but here they are: pregnancy, wailing infants, unfaithful husbands, household cares, death, which does come to everyone. But um, he says, but I would have you understand that as you go out from Sodom, you must be warned by the fate of Lot's wives. You see how it depicts family life? Like Sodom. Remember Lot and his wife you know, leaving and she turns around and becomes a pillar of salt because she looks back on the city that they're supposed to leave. Um, said so maybe that's not the best way to describe family married life <laughs> like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's kind of the opposite maybe. Um, because it is impossible for a man's senses to escape being assailed by the well-known inner passion, that man is praised who, as soon as he begins to cherish such thoughts, stifles his imaginings and dashes them against the rock. So, um, you know, if you have... It's, it, it's impossible for someone not to sort of feel some um, desire for family life, like maybe you want to get married. Dash that thought to the rocks. And then, and then, to, and then to quote 1 Corinthians and say, and that rock is Christ. I don't think that's what St. Paul was writing about. <laughs> um, so maybe, maybe again, Jerome's not at his best here. How often, when I was established in the desert and in that vast solitude, which is scorched by the sun's heat and affords a savage habitation for monks, did I think myself amid the delights of Rome? You know, so when I'm out, you know, I was out in the middle of nowhere uh, to forsake the world. Um, I remembered how nice it was in Rome. And all the lovely ladies. And I was, as he says, I was surrounded by dancing girls in my imagination. My face was pale from fasting and my mind was hot with desire. You know, so there I am trying to live the strict kind of a life of, of the celibate, forsaking all earthly pleasures. But in my mind, I wanted to be back in Rome with the dancing girls. If those who, with emaciated frame, are assailed by their thoughts alone... Endure such trials, what must a girl endure who is thrilled by luxuries? <laughs> Which is not very, I don't know. <laughs> uh, he's 16. I do not want you to consort with married women. I do not want you to see frequently what you disdained in your desire to be a lifelong virgin. Don't spend too much time with these married women. Uh, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to see that, that kind of life. You might, you know, you might like it. Why do you, the bride of God, make haste to call on the wife of a mortal man? Attain a holy pride in his relationship. 
uh, even next, know that you are better than they, meaning you, single, you know, one, forsaking those things, you're better than those that get married. You see how you can see writings, not just in the church father, but I mean, and this is mild compared to what happens later in the way that they wrote about marriage as a lesser form of Christianity. And that, that celibacy and chastity, not chastity, but celibacy really, kind of as this highest virtue. Um, that, that, was, that was where the real Christians were. And again, like I mentioned, I think last week, I think part of that comes from now in this time of, you know, they had their heroes. The heroes were the martyrs. Now we don't have martyrs anymore because they're not killing us. And so now, now what do you, to be a Christian hero, what do you got to do? You got you to forsake everything in order to do that. Um, I praise marriage, but I do so because wedlock produces virgins. So then you have another chance for, for someone to, people to grow up without marriage. I gather roses from thorns, gold from the earth, and pearl from the shell. Um, yeah. So the, the last quote then is, this is in, in Luther's large catechism. He's writing on, in the article on baptism. Uh, well, I'll read it and you can see uh, what Luther says. I say this, lest we fall into the opinion that in which we were stuck for a long time. We were imagining that our baptism is something past, which we can no longer use after we have fallen again into sin. The reason for this is that baptism is regarded as only based on the outward act once performed and completed. This arose from the fact that St. Jerome wrote that repentance is the second plank by which we must swim forth and cross over the water after the ship is broken, on which we step and are carried across when we come into the, come into the Christian church. By this teaching, baptism's use has been abolished so that it can no, no, no longer profit us. Therefore, Jerome's statement is not correct, or at any rate is not rightly understood. For the ship of baptism uh, never breaks, because as we have said, it is God's ordinance and not our work. But it does happen indeed that we slip and fall out of the ship. Yet if anyone falls out, let him see to it that he swims up and clings to the ship until he comes up into it again and lives in it as he had done before. So he says, you know, Jerome's way of looking at it, describing the, like, baptism as this plank that you swim around to get into the ship that's the church, and then once you're in, you don't need it anymore. So that's not the, not the way baptism works. Baptism is the ship. This, this is the, it, it puts us into the, into the ship of it, but sometimes by sin we fall out, and so, like, get back in the boat. <laughs> um, it is that, that we live in our baptism by returning to it. Returning to it again and again and again. Um, other church fathers wrote, you know, and talked about Christians being like fish. You know, that, that must remain in the water. <laughs> uh, that we, we live in our baptism. If you jump out of the water, like a fish jumps out of water, you know. You've ever seen the little, you know, like a, a, a picture of a, a fish, you know, jumping out of the, like a goldfish jumping out of its bowl, yelling, Freedom! <laughs> You know, only to land on the table. Um, no, we, we must remain in our baptismal forgiveness and life constantly. And, and here, you know, Luther's not afraid to say, you know what? Yeah, Jerome's wrong. Or at least, I like that, like, or at least he's not rightly understood. Like, I think you misquoted him or something like that. Um, but they don't need to defend the fathers in every circumstance. We can recognize that any of them, they, they, they were all wrong in something. 
Uh, but we rejoice where they speak the truth. And we see that they, in general, teach, they teach well. Um, and we, we, we're, we're grateful for it. You know, I suppose it's not that different than, you know, we, we have parents that, uh, that weren't always right. We, as parents, are always right, but our, you know, our parents weren't always right. Um, but we rejoice in what they gave us. You know, like, we don't abandon them just because they were once wrong. Right? Um, but we appreciate it. The hymn sheet that I put out is, we'll be singing that today. Uh, as the, it's the Create Me. You're familiar with it? I just want to give you the heads up that it, I, we were singing this on Friday night. And we sang it without accompaniment, um, with just a handful of us uh, after table talk. Or at the table. And so it, it might be that the organ backs off or pulls out. So go ahead and sing. Let's, 